Well, with all of that, we have um, come to the last half of Hebrews chapter 6. I entitled the message, God Cannot Lie. Praise God for that, amen? Now, the beginning of this chapter was really tough. We went through it last week. The first half, especially verses 4 through 6, have been controversial for centuries. And so many great scholars have different views on what those scriptures mean. I mean, great men, guys I look up to for years, for decades. Guys who I trust are strong teachers in the Word of God have different views of what those passages mean. And we went over six of them, but we didn't exhaust all of them. And we laid out a few for you so you'd understand where people are at. To some felt it was just hypothetical. It was something that God was putting out there that really can't happen to us. But he was just letting us know that it's out there, but it can't happen, so it's not possible. Um, And I shared my view on some of them. I, I don't agree with that. Uh, then there was another view that said this just dealt with the Hebrews that were at the temple around that time, that the temple was still standing. And I personally don't agree with that. If you do, you're, you're, you're amongst good scholars that do, and you're in good company. Um, and then there was a view that said what's impossible for man is not impossible for God. And that's absolutely true, but I didn't think that was what those scriptures were pertaining to. And then we shared a view of those who believe you can lose your salvation. And there are a lot of Christians that feel that you can lose your salvation. I don't think uh, that you can based on God's word. That's my view. And then I shared with you that a view that this was talking about merely uh, rewards and, and not about salvation, not about losing salvation, but about losing your reward the fruits of salvation, not the root of salvation. And then the final one I shared with you uh, was a view that said that these people were never really born again. They had tasted, they they were enlightened, they were partakers of the Holy Spirit, but not possessors of the Holy Spirit, and they weren't really born again. So um, when I did this message last week, uh, I was praying that, God, this would really stir up the church, and it certainly did. A lot of you guys had a lot of questions. I was answering a lot of texts, a lot of questions over the week. And uh, I was so stoked because it got you to really dig, dig, dig. And it's amazing how we can have different views on what it's speaking and um, be in good company with great scholars that, that hold the same view that you do. You might not hold the view I do. And I, I don't, I'm not standing here saying I got a total handle on what those those verses mean four through six. I just want to be honest with you. Um, there's, there's scriptures in the Bible that we're not always sure what they mean exactly. And when you got good scholars so all over the map on their views, you have to consider all the views and then just wait for further information from the Holy Spirit. Amen? But I do have a solution for verses four through six. And the solution is, if you're here today and you read four through six and you are you are freaked out or scared or thinking you can lose your salvation or wondering if you were ever really saved, the solution to those scriptures is keep your eyes on Jesus. Stay close to God. Trust in the Lord. 
Walk by faith. And you won't have to worry about those passages. There's a lot of passages in the Bible that we don't fully understand. But God keeps revealing things over and over. That's why the Bible says it's alive and living. Because just when you think you've mastered a verse, God takes you deeper. Amen? And so we've come to uh, verse 9. And, you know, i got to tell you, I've been really blessed uh, going through Hebrews every week in my studies, and I try to get through the whole book uh, at least once a week. And when I was reading it this week, I, I got to about chapter 12, and I just paused for a minute and, and set the Bible down and just started praising God. I was like, wow, Lord, this is so beautiful. The book of Hebrews is so amazing. It's so deep. It's so rich. And it's really going to help us to grow. And it's a tough book for pastors to teach. This is my third time teaching this book with this church. And I, I still feel inadequate. But I feel like I know more than last time when I taught it. And just to hear some of the commentators say that, you know, how difficult it was for them to teach the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 6. Guys who I respect just bypassed chapter 6 altogether. They didn't want to get involved with it. And, and then hearing of other guys who were breaking down each chapter, uh, you know, spending two to three weeks in each chapter moving through, got to chapter 6, and were so overwhelmed by the time they finished chapter 6, the next week, this guy did 7 through 13. He did seven chapters just to get out of the book of Hebrews. He says, I'm going I'm you know, to teach something more easy like Corinthians, which isn't easy, but compared to Hebrew, you know what I'm saying? But I, I had to stop this week while I was reading it and just say, Lord, it's this so beautiful, so eloquent. So amazing. The writer of Hebrews, who I believe is the Apostle Paul, has such a grasp on the Old Testament, and he's giving this letter to uh, Hebrew Christians to encourage them not to go back to Judaism, not to go back to legalism, not to go back to, to works, to remember it's salvation by faith. Jesus did it all on the cross. And and the amazing thing is when you read that there's so much Old Testament in the book of Hebrews, the writer understood that these new Christians had a tremendous handle on the Word of God. See, what makes Jews different from you and me is that before they got saved, they already knew the Word of God. They've already been studying it. They had a handle on it. And if you're going to witness to a Jew, you've got to show Jesus on every page in the Old Testament because they won't accept the New Testament. But when they got born again, now all that Scripture that they grew up on just comes alive. For where you and me, we got saved, then we started to study the Bible, right? And so just this book has just been, I don't know, it's been a blessing for me. I hope it's been a blessing for you. And now as we finish up chapter 6, starting in verse 9, we're going to see that uh, God desires for us to have good works, to persevere, to have faith and patience, and to trust in Him. He's our hope. He's our anchor. And to remember that God cannot lie, 
And God cannot break a promise. And that's good news. I mean, we fail, but He doesn't. And so let's read uh, verse 9. It says here, it says, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward His name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that you be not slothful or sluggish, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherited the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessings I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath of confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was pos- it, it, to, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie that we may have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us which hope we have an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil whether the, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Father, we thank you for this portion of Scripture. And we ask you to bless this time. Give us ears to hear, Lord. And we praise you and give you glory that we can stand on your promises, Lord God. The fact that we have eternal life and and that you cannot break a promise is a real, true blessing. And so, Lord God, stir us up today. Help us to grow. Let us hear what you have to tell us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We have an anchor for our soul. His name is Jesus Christ. God's promises are yes and amen. I encourage you to get one of those books. It's the promises of God. Just to remind yourself when you're going through the storms, you've got tough times happening, and just remember the things that God has promised you. You have eternal life. That should be good enough. That should be enough to drive us to love God more, to serve God more, to be obedient to God's Word. God promised us He'd never leave us nor forsake us. Aren't you lucky? Aren't you happy? God is faithful. When we live in a world where not a whole lot of people are faithful, and even your loved ones, maybe even your spouse can let you down, God will never let you down. God will never break a promise. And he will not lie because he can't lie. It's impossible for God to lie. And so he speaks to us now about our works, the things that accompany salvation, 
Maintaining good works is biblical, though we're not saved by works. By no means. We're saved by grace, by faith. That's it. But you know, when you really love someone, you love doing things for them. Remember when you were first dating guys? Your spouse, you would do anything? What happened? You know what I'm saying? You know how when it starts to cool down, when that hot relationship starts to cool down, you need to spark it back up. And we can cool down even with Jesus. We shouldn't. But when you're in love, you want to serve God. When I hear people in ministry tell me, you know what, I'm burned out, I quickly recognize they've been serving God in their flesh when they say that. Because you're only going to be burned out if you're serving in the flesh. Because when you're serving out of love, it's a labor of love and you don't care. You just want to be with that person. You just want to do whatever they want to do. It doesn't matter. Remember when you dated? The first time you fell in love with your spouse? Where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? I don't know. You want to eat over here? I don't, if you want to eat over here, you have, what do you think about that? If you, that? And then you get married and all of a sudden everybody has an opinion. And sometimes when we've been walking with the Lord 5, 10, 20 years, we start to have an opinion rather than just obeying. He says, but beloved, we are persuaded, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown towards his name and towards the saints. Does that describe you? God doesn't... Did you know there's a book of remembrance? Malachi chapter 3, book of remembrance. Every time you think about the Lord or share the Lord or do something for... It's recorded. Wow. I mean, my, my desire for you guys is for you to get to heaven and just see this macking library with all your thoughts about God. And God is just not to forget your good works and your heart. And when we do things for God, we want to do it with the right motivation. Not to get applause. Not to get the attaboy. Those are the, but those are nice. When someone just says, hey, you know what? You're doing a good job. I mean, I like to say that to people, but when you're serving God, you're not doing it for that. You're doing it for Him. And so he talks about these things that accompany salvation. What accompanies salvation? Good works. Serving God. Now, when you talk about serving God, people get a little uncomfortable. Oh, great, he's going to put a guilt trip on I'm not going to put a guilt trip on you. I tell you what, there is nothing more fun than serving God. I don't know what you're doing for fun, but if, if it's not serving God, you're not having fun. There's fun stuff out there, but serving God's a blessing that he would even allow us to serve him. He is so worth it. And, and the great thing about serving God, he says, check it out. First off, I'm going to give you the ability to serve me. I'm going to give you the power to serve me. I'm going to give you the means. I'm going to give you the opportunity. And then when you're all done, I'm going to reward you for what I did. 
He loves you. And when you serve God, it's a labor of love. What else is things that accompany salvation? Giving, worship. When we serve, when we give, it's an act of worship. Now, when you talk about giving, everybody gets upset. Why? Because it's been abused so much. You, you, you see these guys on TV, and they're begging for money, and, and that's a shame. God hates that. And so it turns a lot of people off, but we are called in the Bible to give. It's an act of worship. In times like today, it, it's, it's, it's almost hard to even share about giving because how tough it is for everybody right now. This economy stinks. Inflation's out of control. I mean, if you're a visitor here, you know how much money you spent to get here. I mean, when you're looking at hotels and the cheapest ones are five, six hundred a night, you're like, are you kidding me? Somebody told me Hawaii was the most expensive state in the U.S. I don't know if that's true, but it's, it's expensive. And then somebody was telling me that Foodland, our grocery store here on the North Shore, is the most expensive grocery store in the U.S. And I have to agree, food scam, I mean, Foodland is. I mean, I go over there, to a pound of ahi, $30 a pound? $20, $25 a pound for steak? I don't know how people survive. I have, there's so many people that are struggling right now. You know how many families moved to the mainland because they couldn't live here anymore? You know how many individuals moved because they couldn't live here anymore? Because they couldn't spend $3,000 for a studio? It's not easy. And I don't know if you're homeowners, but did you guys get that letter from the state about your property tax going up oh my goodness are you kidding me so here let me just give you an example of what's going on my wife and i we bought a home in i think 2001 here in kilauea around the corner and we we spent 240,000 for a four bedroom two and a half bath i know a lot of you're going wow 240 <laughs> so the state now says it's worth 1.2 more than that and that i we need to be taxed according they're making it impossible for people to live here. And so to talk about giving is kind of a, a tough place. God calls us to serve and God calls us to give. And um, I just want to be transparent with you guys. My board has been encouraging me to talk to you guys and let you know that how the church is doing and the church isn't doing good. And don't get me wrong, I'm not going to beg you for money. Rather, close the doors and just have God move me somewhere else. Because God needs to work in the hearts of the people, and I, I, I'm just appalled by people that beg for money. But I don't think there's something wrong with making a need known. So, I want you guys to know that we are very frugal in our spending here. We... We're not hiring people. We're not giving people raises. Matter of fact, if you knew what our staff made, you would say they could make a lot more money somewhere else, but they do this out of labor of love. And so, though we've been struggling all this year, I got to tell you this, and I shared this with the board. A year ago, um, God 
spoke to me in prayer and he said, you're going to have a tough year. And a year ago, I told my staff that. And you know, when you tell people God spoke to me, <laughs> they're like, wow, that's cool. Or, <laughs> But as January went by, February and March, the board started like going, hey, we're, we're not doing good. We're, not, we're in the red. And, and I, all I could say was, remember I told you God said we were going to have a tough year. And God in His grace gave us a surplus the year before to get through. So I just want you to know that. But to an accountant, this looks really bad. You know, here we are in December, and to an accountant, for you to be operating in the red is like you got to do something. You got to fire somebody. I, I can't fire anybody. I got two staff members that one had a ba- just had a baby and the other one's just about to have it's, We're not in that position. We're, you know, and, and then on top of an accountant looking and saying, you know, you guys are in the red big time every single month. And on top of that, you're making yourself go deeper by giving thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars to missions. So I just want to be transparent and tell you why we're doing that. Is because we made a promise to God a long time ago that whether we operate in the black or in the red every month, whatever comes through every month, we give 10% to the mission field because 10% belongs to the Lord and it does not belong to us. And we couldn't ask you to give if we weren't willing as a church to give. tough times and it's not just us a lot of churches around the island are suffering we're under a lot of spiritual warfare because you know why jesus is coming soon and the enemy doesn't want the word to come out he doesn't want it to go out he doesn't want to see people get saved he's trying to shut down churches but we're going to keep going i mean you know if we got to lock the doors we got to lock the doors but we'll we'll Whatever. God is good. Four of the biggest churches on this side of the island are going through financial or spiritual struggles or both. We're one of them. One of the other ones is out of resources completely. They're running on fumes. But praise God, there's a church that's kind of helping them stay alive to get the word out. And then there's another church that they're pastor was overwhelmed and just stepped down and so they're kind of in a desert whatever you call it, disarray they're 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 scrambling to kind of what what's going on but the one that breaks my heart is is a fellowship that just handed over their church to two homosexual pastors and the real danger is when your church starts to struggle is that you start compromising the Word of God because if you don't say things that upset people, you keep people and you get more people and numbers go up and money comes in. There's a real danger in compromising. And so what I'm seeing happening at these fellowships is they stopped preaching the Word of God. They, they started telling stories. You know, because people respond to stories more than the Word of God. They start watering down the Word of God 
and they start telling feel-good messages. They grab a verse out of the Bible and, and they use it and they sugarcoat it and they don't want to talk about sin because sin upsets people. But you have to teach the whole counsel of God. You can't tell somebody it's okay to be homosexual. God loves you. It's okay to live in fornication and adultery. God loves you. That's an abomination to the Lord. You can't stand behind a pulpit and say homosexuality, fornication, and adultery is okay. I'm not being mean. God loves the homosexual. He hates his sin. God loves the fornicator and the adulterer, but he hates their sin. And to stand behind a, a pulpit and say, listen, you can live in a lifestyle of sin and God still loves you and will take you to heaven is a lie. The Bible says if you are in these kinds of lifestyles, you will not inherit the kingdom of God because you're not really His. I'm not talking about messing up. You can mess up. Everybody's messed up. You can mess up. You can sleep with someone. You can mess up and have a relationship that you shouldn't, and God will forgive you. But people that have chosen a lifestyle, that's what we're talking about. And the danger of watering down the Word and compromising it. We can't do that. So yeah, we're, we're going through stuff right now, but I just want to remind you, we're not going to beg you for anything. God has to move in the heart of an individual. And we'll do what we have to do. But it is good to make a need known. That's biblical. When Moses received the blueprints for the tabernacle, God told him that there's a lot of supplies we're going to need. And Moses was hearing the supplies and he was thinking to himself, we don't have that. And there was going to be a lot of gold needed, a lot of silver needed, a lot of precious stones, a lot of uh, brass, a lot of cedar, all these supplies. And Noah knew, I don't have those supplies. And you know what the Lord said? He said, go to the people and tell them the need. And God worked in the heart of his people. And, and Moses told him the need. And then all of a sudden, people started bringing in like crazy. So much so that Moses goes, stop giving. I've got, we've got too much. Stop bringing in stuff. We, we got way too much. Stop giving. Can you imagine a pastor saying that? Especially on TBN. Stop giving. What a blessing that would be. You know, something happened like two months ago. I shared it with my board back when it happened because it was so impactful to me. It was like two months ago. I get up early. I, I think it was like two, three in the morning. And I was out on my patio in the dark and I was praying. And I was praying for all you guys and I was praying for all the pregnant women in this church and their little babies. And, and, uh, and then I started praying um, for my family and then I started praying to God about the finances and I said it's really tough Lord I, I know you warned us um, you know I just started crying out to him and the Holy Spirit overshadowed me 
in such a mighty and powerful way that I started singing a song out loud that I never knew. And the words were just coming out of my mouth. And I was blown away. And verse after verse, and then the chorus came, and it was praising God, and it was giving thanks, and it was just giving all glory to Him. And as I was singing the, the, the chorus, I was thinking, what's the next verse in my head while I'm singing? And all of a sudden, the next verse just starts coming through. Verse after verse, the next chorus, and the song was over, and I just wept. It was so beautiful. And then God wiped my memory of how the song went and the words, but I knew it was glorifying God. Maybe I was speaking in tongues. I don't know. But he did it to get my attention for what he was about to say. And what he said to me as soon as the song was over, I was weeping, and then he said to me three times, walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith, not by sight. And I knew right then why He gave me the song. He gave me the song so I would know it was Him that was about to speak to me. He gave me a song that I did not know. The melody that came to me, the words came to me, and He gave me a song to get my attention because what He was about to say, He wanted me to know it was Him and not just a verse that popped in my head while I was praying. And I thank God for that. And I thank God for you guys. And when this, I was reading this passage this week, it just popped out at me because it just reminded me of you guys. But beloved, we are persuaded, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, the things that accompany salvation. What's that? Good works, serving, giving, worship. The things that accompany salvation. Here's, here, check this out. For God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love which you have shown toward His name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you would show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end that you do not become slothful or sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. He says, do you have full assurance? Are, are, do you know where you're going? Do you know who you believe in? Are you persuaded that He is able to keep that which you've committed until that day? Do you have assurance? I do. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to fail. I'm going to make some mistakes. I don't know where God's going to put me for the rest of my life or what I'm going to be doing, but I know I'm going to be serving Him. And I have the assurance that He can get me to the finish line because God can't lie. But in this walk, while we're doing these things, He encourages us to not be sluggish, to not be slothful, but to get busy for Jesus. Because why? He's worth it. He's worth it. And He's not unjust to forget your good works. He's not, going, he's not going to forget your good works. He remembers everything. He remembers even the hair on your head. Do you know He collects your tears too? 
wow, how many five-gallon jars has he got, you know? <laughs> but, you know, in order for us to persevere, in order for us to get to that finish line, we have to have faith and patience. Verse 12. Faith and patience. It's easy to say, hey, we got faith. Because we do. That's why we're here. Patience. How are you doing on patience? Man, I don't know about you, but when I'm crying out to God, praying for something, I'd like an answer right then. Wouldn't you? But God doesn't always answer your prayers right away, does He? Well, He does in a sense. He says, yes, no, or not now. Be continued down the road but some of you have been praying for things for years months decades you said god spoke to me but it hasn't happened yet that's where the faith kicks in and the patience i know what god spoke to my heart that's great that's awesome now be patient quit freaking out be still. Know He's there. His desires for you are good. He's with you in the storm. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. His promises are yes and amen. If He told you something, guess what? He can't lie. That's the good news. God spoke to you. Praise God. It hasn't happened yet. Be patient. Because He cannot lie. And He gives us an example of someone to show us somebody who was more patient than we are. Look at verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessings I will bless you, and multiply, and I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for a confirmation is for them at the end of all of a dispute. So he's saying like when, when you know, when you having a dispute with somebody or saying, listen, I want you to do this, and if you do this, I'll do that for you. And they go, I don't think you're going to do that. And you're like, I'm going to do it. And they're going, ah, you're not going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then you go, I swear on the Bible. I swear on a stack of the Bibles. I swear to God on a stack of Bibles. And they go, okay. As long as you did that. Right? You swear by something greater, right? Swear on my mother's grave. Swear on my children. You don't swear by your cat. Because nobody cares about your cat. So you swear by something greater. You swear to God. Swear on the Bible. Swear on a stack of Bibles. And it ends a dispute between somebody who you couldn't get to agree with you to do something. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them in the end of all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that's set before us. Wow. Two things. Remember this. God can't lie, and God doesn't break His promise. When you're doubting, remind yourself that God can't lie, and God doesn't break His promise. Amen?
and he gives us an example of someone because, like I said, I've talked to many of you that said, God spoke to me. And I'm like, that's awesome because I get that because God speaks to me through his word. God speaks to me through prayer. And he puts such an impression upon my heart. I know it's him. And when he does that, and he says he's going to do something for you. It might not happen today. And he uses Abraham as an example. Abraham, what was the promise that he gave Abraham? That he was going to have the promised son. Remember when David was, pro- was anointed to be king? He didn't become king right away. God told him he was going to be king. You're thinking, okay, next day, king. No, he waited some 20 years. He, didn't, he wasn't a king. He was on the lamb running from Saul who was trying to kill him who didn't want to give up the throne. But God said King David was going to be the king. And he was anointed, scholars believe, somewhere around 10 to 15 years old, which means for 15, 20 years, he ran for his life. And you can imagine all the people that were with him, David's men and their families, like, you sure you heard from God? And the same thing with Abraham. Abraham was 75. Sarah was 65. God gave him a promise. You're going to have a son. They had no kids. And then God goes, I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, father of many nations. You go tell everybody that. So he's going around his friends going, hey, you know, God changed my name. They said, what is it? I'm father of many nations. They're like, Abe, you don't got any kids. Father of what? Look at you, you're 75. What can you do? And they waited. And they waited. And years went by and years went by and years went by. And then they thought, maybe we need to help God. Whenever you think you need to help God, just take a nap. (laughs) And then when Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90, 25 years later after the promise, the son came. And he waited and endured with patience and finally obtain that promise. And, and why do I want to bring this up to you guys right now? Because many of you right now, God has spoken to you. God has given you a word. God has promised you something, and it hasn't happened yet. And I just want to say, be patient. God cannot lie. I know it was God that spoke to me. Well, then hang tight. Because God cannot lie. God does not break a promise. Maybe you're here today and God spoke to you and said, I'm going to bring you a spouse. And it's been two, three years. And you're thinking, any time would be great. I'm going to tell you, be patient. Don't do anything stupid. Or maybe you're here today and, and, and the Lord said, I got a better job for you. And it's been a couple of years and you're scraping, living check by check, paycheck to paycheck, and you're, you know, you're, Wondering how you're going to make it next week. You're like, God, you told me. Wait on the Lord. Be patient. It's in those tough times He builds character in us. It's in those tough times we draw close to the Lord. It's in those trials that we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Him. And Maybe you're here today and, and God told you to move to Kauai and now you're here and it's like, this place is expensive. If God told you to move here, God will work it out. And maybe you're here today and God told you to move somewhere else. If God spoke to you, let me encourage you, God cannot lie. 
But just like Abraham, it might take years before that promise comes about in your life. Abraham waited 25 years. David waited 15 to 20 years. All sorts of men in the Bible waited. See, because God's timing is not our timing. To him, a thousand years is like a day. I've been waiting 20 years. Hang on. He'll fulfill his word that he gave to you. Amen? Let's wrap this up. Verse 19, this hope that we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us. So everybody gets a Toyota when you get into... I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh gosh, let me start over. I'm all messed up now. <laughs> for we have an anchor of our soul, Jesus Christ, both sure and steadfast, and which enters in the presence behind the veil. He tore that veil. We get to go in. He was our forerunner, has entered in for us, even Jesus, having become the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And we'll talk more about Melchizedek next time because he gets into it deep in chapter 7. But Melchizedek, he keeps mentioning Melchizedek because the one thing that the Hebrews would keep saying was, you Christians, you're, 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 who's your high priest? And they say, Jesus Christ. And they'd say, well, wait a minute, he can't be high priest because he's not a Levite. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. And so that's why he keeps mentioning that before the ironic priesthood, before the Levites, there was a higher order of priesthood, and that was Melchizedek. A higher priest order forever. And Jesus was from that line. The line of Judah. But let me close with this if the worship team wants to come forward. It says there in verse 9, this hope we have is an anchor of our soul and it is sure and it is steadfast jesus is our anchor in this nutty world what's the purpose of the anchor to keep you from drifting to keep you from being washed away tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine to keep you stable in the Word of God. Sure hope in Christ Jesus. Unmovable. That's the purpose of an anger. Uh, anger. An anchor. That's the purpose of the anchor. And we're not anchored to this world. We're not of this world. We're pilgrims passing through. Our anchor is in heaven. There's a lifeline coming from the anchor, Jesus Christ, all the way down to each one of us if we could see the spiritual realm, we would see that line. He's got a hold of you. And you will not drift away from Him. And it is sure and steadfast. And God has a plan for you. And God has something for each and every one of you to fulfill. And all you got to do is one simple thing. It's really easy. You don't have to study for the test. You don't have to do a lot of things to earn some favor. If you want to be used by God, you just got to yield. You just got to show up. 
and say, I'm here. The Bible tells us in Revelation that we were created for His good pleasure. So the next time you go and pray, I understand you've got your prayer list. That's awesome. I understand you've got your needs. That's great. But the next time you, you, you pray, just come in and say, reporting for duty, sir. I'm here for your good pleasure. What do you want me to do for you today? Because I love you. Let's pray. Please stand. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you for your patience with us. And Lord, forgive us for being impatient. Lord, forgive us for not resting in your word that you gave us and losing our joy and forgetting our, our witness because we're so hung up with ourselves. Lord, help us to be just consumed by you. Fill us right now afresh with the Holy Spirit, Lord God. Fill us afresh to overflowing, to be a blessing to everyone around us, to be used by you, Lord God. Let our, our service and our giving and our worship be a sacrifice of praise rising up to you, a sweet aroma that you would look down and just say, oh, there's my kids. I just love them so much. Can't wait for them to be up here. Lord, help us to finish well. We thank you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you guys.